Uh, anybody ever been dehydrated? Who's been dehydrated? Not fun, right? Think about what happens when you're dehydrated, especially like you go, hey, we live in Florida. We're dehydrated like every day. Uh, if you've been dehydrated, you know it's not a fun experience. But also, a lot of times when we're dehydrated, it's almost like we ignore our dehydration. We ignore all those triggers, all those signs, right? One thing I would never recommend that you do is to actually read WebMD for anything. Um, <laughs> Because you might, like reading that, you're like, I might as well just, I might as well end it all. Like, I cut my thumb and I'm going to die. Like, my heart's going to quit because of all the symptoms. I, I feel like just a group of doctors got together and went, what is the worst things that we can tell people will happen to them when they're hurt? Let's put that on the website. Uh, let's just freak everybody out. But when it comes to dehydration, if you think about, and you look at WebMD, they have some symptoms of what dehydration is. Increased thirst, which is obvious. Dry mouth and swollen tongue. Weakness, dizziness, confusion, sluggishness, fainting. We get very, very unhealthy when we're dehydrated. Now, if you've ever been in band, you know what dehydration is. Anybody, anybody ever been in marching band? Be honest, it's okay. Marching man, yes, you're the coolest among us. Thank you for raising your hands. Um, those of you that raised your hands said, I've been in marching band slash been in band at all, you will understand my next statement better than everyone else. And that statement is this. I'm a firm believer that band directors should be in prison. <laughs> he understands. They're like many Nazis, have you, ever been, have you ever seen a marching band? Have you ever seen a marching band director? They're like, they're like it's like militaristic. There's, there's officers. You've got a drum major. You've got lieutenants, captains. I don't know what that's about. I think they're descendants of Hitler, personally. But I was in marching band. And uh, I, think, I think we have a picture of my marching band days. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest, how good looking is that kid? Uh, it was in middle school, and that uniform, though, it was the early 90s. That's what happens in the early 90s. But in marching band, I remember band camp in the summer in Florida. Worst experience of my life. Because if you've ever been to band camp, you know what this is like. If you've not, let me explain it to you. Basically, you spend all day outside in a field getting yelled at, by a dictator band director and many Hitler officers yelling at you to stand in formation, don't move, get your feet right. You walked too far, you got out of formation and you're just practicing drills all day. Occasionally you, uh, they let you eat because they were mandated by law to allow you to eat some food throughout the day. And then also occasionally, well every day, some of you, the, early, the first service, when, we sh when I showed this next picture, uh, no one knew what I was talking about. They were like, I've never seen that before. Um, but eventually, someone throughout the day would show up, and the back of their car would open up, and this beautiful piece of equipment would come out of the back of their car, this right here. <laughs> the McDonald's cooler. Anybody remember the McDonald's cooler with the orange drink? A few of you. 
That's all that was called orange drink. No one knows what's in it. They claim there's water in it somewhere. It's a lot of orange and sugar in there. I know that much. But this thing would show up, and this was like the saving grace of the day because you're sweating, and it's like 100 degrees outside. Mouth is dry. You're trying to play an instrument. That requires some saliva as well. And I just wanted to, like, I wanted to die. It was terrible. And then I would see this cooler show up, and I knew at some point... Probably 20 minutes later, while we have to sit here and watch it, just sit there glistening in the sun, they're going to let us go drink from that cooler. Dehydration is a very real thing physically, and we do all the things that we need to do to hydrate ourselves, to keep ourselves living. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, we constantly get dehydrated, and we never do much to rehydrate ourselves. And Jesus talks a little bit about this in this passage that we just read. There's a reason I'm talking about dehydration because this festival that we see here in John chapter seven, at the beginning of this passage, I'm gonna break this down for you a little bit. Jesus has been doing his miracles. He, he just came off the heels of feeding the 5,000, if you know that story, um, with two uh, two. Uh, two loaves of bread, five small fishes. He feeds 5,000 people. He's doing these miracles. He's disrupting uh, the the way that things are. He's disrupting the religious order of the day. The Jewish leaders of the day are like, we got to end it. We got to get rid of this guy because he's, he's upsetting everything. He's bringing a different message into the world than what we have, than we, we have put here. And so Jesus is doing his thing. Look what it says in verse number one. After this, after he was done doing these things, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. I don't blame him. I'd probably stay out of there too, knowing if somebody was trying to kill me. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. His brothers are taunting him. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. But I love Jesus' reply here. Now is not the time for me to go, but you can go anytime. I see him just like waving his hand away to them, like, leave me alone and let me smoke my pipe. Uh, I, it's not time for me to go yet. And, and, but then the next, the next, one, the next uh, sentence is even better. The world... Uh, now is not the right time, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you. Basically what he said to them, nobody cares who you are, so go hang out at the festival. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You guys go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. So listen to what's going on. So Jesus, he's getting taunted by his brothers. His brothers don't believe in him at all. And I'm sure at some point they've witnessed these miracles, but for whatever reason, they don't believe that he is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is. Probably because they've spent their whole life with him going, no, you're just the little jerk that picked on us because you're the oldest. And they don't believe in what he's, what he's saying. But this festival, the Festival of Shelters, how many of you ever heard of the Festival of Shelters from a biblical or Jewish standpoint? Like one, maybe two of us, a couple of us, right? No one's really heard of this but it's the biggest festival in Jewish tradition. Listen to this. The Old Testament covenant 
sacred feast of shelters called Sukkot in the Hebrew, also known as the Feast of the Tabernacle, was an annual holy feast established by God at Mount Sinai. The Feast of Shelters, the most joyous and the longest of festivals, was also considered to be the greatest of feasts. The Feast of Shelters memorialized God's holy dwelling place, the Desert Tabernacle. Basically, here's what was going on. This feast, at the very end of the year, the, the final feast of the year, biggest one, the most joyous feast, festival in Jewish tradition that they had. It's mentioned one time in the New Testament, and this is the passage. Here's the fascinating thing about this festival and this feast. It being the biggest one, the most lavish, celebrated, probably one of the most dire times in Jewish history. Because what it celebrated was the Jewish people's wander in the desert and God's dwelling place in the desert with him. It celebrated the shelters that they had in the desert, that God provided them a way to live and have shelter in the desert, in the desolate place. So when you think about celebrations, what do we celebrate? Usually our successes, right? Things that we are, are excited about. Our birthday, we celebrate anniversaries. Great, we made it another year. We celebrate that. We celebrate the things that we have done successfully in life. We never throw a celebration for that time we messed it all up and God had to take care of us. But that's what this celebration was. That's what this feast was all about. And that is fascinating to me. Because what Jesus does is he comes into the scene in this, during this celebration. And then, all, you know, the, the, his brothers are like, come on, go, go celebrate. People are trying to kill you. There's a lot of people there. Don't worry about it. If you're so great, why don't you go show yourself? And he goes, it's not my time yet. But then the last part of this chapter in verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, the biggest day. You know, if you've ever been to like an EDM festival or... Uh, you know, I don't know, some music festival. The last day, usually everyone's passed out, right? Like it's not great, but it's the big, it's the climax. The last day, it is the, it is the encore of the festival. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. Now, he went earlier than this and he just kind of snuck around. Didn't really, no one really knew he was there. He kind of snuck around, did a few things. But on the last day, the climax, he makes his big debut at the festival. I just kind of see him like rushing the stage and like knocking the, knocking the, uh, you know, the band over and like, I got something to say, guys. Let me get this out. Or, you know, the streaker at the, at the game, you know. Hey, I got something to say. Listen to me. I just see him running out there like, I'm going to shout this out to you. And here's what he says. If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. Now, typically in church world, what we do with this passage is we talk about this passage from the context of salvation, of taking that step of faith toward Christ. That what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, if, if you are dying and going to hell, then follow me because I will save you from that. And while that's part of it, that's just scratching the surface of what Jesus is saying to them in this moment. Because think about it. What they're celebrating is their time in the desert and God's provision for them in the desert. 
that his dwelling place, the tabernacle, was built there in the midst of them. And he dwelled with them in the desert. And he provided for them. So his analogy is not a mistake. His analogy of talking about drinking and coming to drink and being hydrated is no mistake. He hits it right in the middle of what they're celebrating. But it's not just about, listen, you, you are sinners and you need a savior. He goes deeper than that. And it sounds like he says the same thing twice here. Because he says to them, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. Right, I got it the first time. I'm thirsty, I need to come drink. But in those two statements, he breaks down a whole lot of truth for them beyond just follow me if you want to escape hell. The first thing that he says in this to them is this. When he says, if you are thirsty, come to me. Basically what he says to them, you need to recognize that you're dehydrated. You need to take a moment and be honest about this condition, the state of your life right now. See, what happens a lot of times with us when it comes to our spiritual hydration, we're not real honest about where we're at conditionally. We're not real honest about the fact that we need someone else, something greater than us to carry us through because we end up in deserts a lot of times. A lot of times we force ourselves in the deserts because we don't do the thing that God tells us to do. Or sometimes God puts us in the desert to remind us that we need him. But we're stubborn, right? We're human beings. We have a God complex. One of the things that, that I probably the greatest struggle we have is our own human God complex. Because in order to be honest about the need of a savior, the need of a, of a God that is bigger than our problems is the recognition that we are not that God. So there's no mistake that Jesus uses the analogies that he uses. One of the biggest analogies that he used in scriptures was about shepherd and sheep. Now, in that time in the first century when he was around, shepherding was a pretty common thing. But for us today, you know, we don't, I mean, we kind of know what it is, but we don't fully recognize it. And yeah, he used that analogy because they could identify with that. But there's another reason that he compared us to sheep so often and him being the shepherd. If you were to go on a journey and we were still, you know, we were in the days of like horseback and we didn't have cars and all that kind of stuff, you were going to go on a journey. None of us would go, you know what, I need to pack up my animal and travel to the next town. So bring me the sheep so I can load them up with all of my belongings. Have you ever seen a sheep? They're top heavy. They got twigs for legs. They're kind of dumb. You start loading them down with heavy burdens, they're going to fall over. They're not built to carry that thing. What are you going to get? You're going to get a mule or a horse, something that's built broad, something that's built and strong to carry that burden, to carry all that weight. So part of the reason Jesus used the analogy of sheep and shepherding and compared us to sheep is because we're not built to carry burdens. In fact, Jesus says, listen, you don't have to carry any burdens. You know what sheep do? They graze. They just enjoy life. When the shepherd says, stop here, here's some food, hang out. I got you. When it gets dark, night comes, 
Go to sleep. Sleep well, because I am sleeping in the doorway of your pen. I'm keeping watch. I'm protecting you. You don't even have to worry about protecting yourself. The shepherd says, hey, we're going to move to the next field, the next place. Follow me. I'll lead you there. You don't have to find it yourself. I'll lead you to it. We are not built to carry those burdens, but what do we do? We try to be the shepherd as the sheep. We try to be the God of our own life. We try to fix the problems that go wrong. We try to carry the burdens of other people. We try to carry the burdens of our own life. And all the while, what Jesus is saying to us, stop and recognize that you are not God and you cannot carry that burden. But it's not hopeless. Because when you recognize that and you're honest about that, guess what? You can come to me and I'll carry that burden for you. I will hydrate that part of your life that is broken, that is dry, that is in the desert for you. But that also means you and I have to make a choice. When we begin to be honest about the state of our life, that we are dehydrated, that we're confused, that we're making poor decisions, that our mind is taking us to places we shouldn't go, that we're making poor decisions, we're reacting to people in our relationships the wrong way, that we are, are taking our frustration out on other people. God is saying to us, you're dehydrated. Take a moment, stop, and choose to drink. Now, when I was in band camp and this McDonald's cooler showed up, I first had to be honest that I'm dying over here. I am ready. I am ready to go drink. I need something because I'm dying. My mouth is dry. I can barely, I'm dizzy. I can barely stand up. I need to drink. Now I had to choose to go to that cooler because I knew that cooler, that beautiful yellow red topped cooler with that lovely orange drink had something in it that would hydrate me. I had to choose to drink it. I had to make the choice to go there. But not only that, check this out. The next thing, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. That word drink there, the Greek word that we get that from in this particular verse, that Greek verb literally means continual gulps. Repeated swallows. Here's what we do a lot of times. Spiritually, we take that first step. We follow Christ. We accept him. We say, God, I need a savior. I am following you. And then we just kind of stop because we've sealed the deal. We've got it done. But what Jesus says to us is you can't, no, you have to continually drink from the source None of us, when we're thirsty, none of us drinks a bottle of water and goes, you know what, I'm a little dehydrated, and drink a bottle of water and go, cool, I'm set for life. I don't need to drink any more water. None of us do that. In fact, if someone said that, we'd be like, you're an idiot. What's wrong with you? When it comes to that McDonald's cooler, I had to choose to drink from it. I could stand around it and look at it, but I'm not going to get hydrated by it. And if I just drank from it once, it's not going to last me the rest of the week in band camp. I'd die. I'd just pass out. Because I have to continually drink from that source. And I had to trust that what was in that cooler was not hot coffee. <laughs> you know, that the 
Stalin over there wasn't like, <laughs> let's put some coffee in it. They think they're getting something to drink. It's going to help them. And they're laughing. No. Like, but we treat God that way sometimes. We say to God, like, God, I know what I need. I know the corrective thing for me. So God, if you'll just give me this, and God's going, you don't, you don't know. You need to trust me. I know what you need. I am your shepherd. I am the source. And by the way, when we drink water, we don't tell it where to go in our body, right? We don't go, you know, my joints are a little, a little, uh, a little dry. So water, if you could make your way to the joints and, you know, oil up my joints for me, that'd be great. The water goes where it needs to go in our body and hydrates our body the way it needs to be hydrated. But what we do so often because of our God complex, because of that inner struggle of humanity, is we say to God constantly, I know what I need. God, you step to the side. When, I, when things are really falling apart and I'm at the rock bottom, then maybe I'll call you back in. And Jesus, man, the blessed God, the amazing, incredible God that he is, he says, all right, I gave you free will and I'll let you walk the path you're going to walk. But I'm not just going to write you off and let you struggle out there. While you have walked into the desert, I am in the desert with you. And I'll continue to give you shelter. I'll continue to give you a source to survive. Because I am the God of the desert. I am the God that walks with you everywhere. And what Jesus says to the world in that moment is, you're in the desert? I've got the hydration for you. But we get distracted. We get distracted a lot. We try to take our own burdens. We get distracted about any number of things, by any number of things. When I lead mission trips, I'm terrible. I get terribly distracted. I'm one of those people that go, yeah, I'll eat like before I go to bed. I forget about meals throughout the day. I forget the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. People like to eat sometimes two, three times a day. I guess that's normal. Uh, a lot of times I forget. And so we'll be, you know, we'll be doing these mission projects and be like all day. And eventually someone will go, hey, are we going to eat anytime today? You know, like we haven't eaten since yesterday. Or we haven't eaten since breakfast and it's like 6 p.m. Can we get some food? And I'll go, oh, oh yeah, I guess you guys are hungry. Yeah, it's been like nine hours since we ate. Yeah, we're hungry. Oh, yeah, I guess, sure. Yeah, I guess we could find something, something to eat around here. I'm terrible at it because I get distracted. I, like I get my mind on this track of like I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I just tell my body, listen, just, you're not, just don't worry about it. You just function. I got stuff to do. Uh, I get distracted. But we kind of do the same thing spiritually. We get distracted by all kinds of things and we forget that, oh man, we need to be hydrated. We need to go back to the source and allow God to continually hydrate us. And then we end up in scenarios in life where we're just, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing left to give. I had one of those moments this year. Earlier this year, a good friend of mine uh, was diagnosed with cancer. He's a 44-year-old guy. He's got five kids. Uh, one of the best people on the planet. One of the best people I've ever known. He was like a brother to me. 
one of the most encouraging, most positive. I don't think I've ever heard him say negative things. If you came to him with a problem and just distressed about something, he was the guy, he was the personality that always saw the solution. Was never, there was never a problem. Yeah, we can fix that. It's no big deal. Let's, let's walk through it. Gets diagnosed with cancer in February, uh, end of June, beginning of July. Uh, aggressively, his cancer spread and he died. And many times, I've been a pastor for a long time. Many times in my life, I've, I've sat with people that were upset and questioned God and, and said, why did God let this, this happen? That was the first time in my life where I literally, in my own, for myself, looked at God and said, this is why. This is why people don't like you, God. Because here's a guy that spent his life for you. He's a great father. He's a great husband. Great example to the world. So much to offer, so much to give to the world. And you let that guy get cancer and die. And the, the dirt bags of the world that we don't like, you let them live to be 100 that do terrible things. This is why people don't like you. And I'm, I don't understand. I don't, I don't like you right now, God. First time in my life, I really struggled with that. And then I had a moment of recognition because I had to officiate his funeral. And I remember walking in there thinking to myself, and he had a massive funeral. It was like 800 people at this guy's funeral. I remember walking in there and seeing his family and seeing all these people and thinking, they're all looking at me to walk them through this and I have nothing to give them because I am completely dehydrated. I lost focus. I spent months angry, confused, out of focus. I doubted. I struggled with God. I struggled with my own faith and I was so depleted. I had nothing to give in that moment. And I realized, God, I'm in the desert. But I also recognized at the same time that all that while that I was in the desert and I was angry at God and I was struggling, that just like a good parent would, he just sat there with me and waited, provided all the way through in ways that I didn't even recognize. And I realized I have not been repeatedly going to the source and drinking and rehydrating my life. And I would bet that many of us in this room right now, that's where we sit. We spend a lot of days going, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm a man. My body rehydrates itself. And all the while, Jesus is standing before us going, if you're thirsty, here I am. Drink. Drink repeatedly. Drink often. Fortunately, he gave us some faucets to rehydrate ourselves. One of those faucets are where you're at right now. Like this is, this is why we gather on a Sunday because this is a faucet for us to rehydrate, to refocus, to rechannel our energy and understand and recognize that God is bigger than us and we need him 
to lead us. It's a reason there are small groups, house churches, things like that. There's a reason that the Bible encourages us to have accountable relationships to other people because those things rehydrate us. There's a reason we do things like affordable Christmas or, th- or serving our community in ways that they need it. Because serving others is a faucet that shows us I need to rehydrate so that I can give to these people that need it as well. In fact, in Isaiah, and I'll finish with this, in Isaiah 58, it says this, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as day. The Lord will guide you continually, listen to this, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. When you do this, when you feed others, when you give yourself to others, I will rewater your life because in that moment you recognize I need to go back to the source because I'm giving away myself. And so we need to take a step back and stop being selfish with our lives, stop being that God complex within us and recognize God is bigger than these problems. I need to put down this weight. I need to recognize that I'm in a desert and I need to look to God who is right next to me this whole time and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to drink again. Maybe for some of you, that means taking that step of faith for the first time and a recognition of, you know, I, I, can't, I can't make it on my own. Jesus, I need you. I recognize that I am broken I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and I need purpose and hope in life. Maybe you've taken that step, but you've just never rehydrated. That's kind of where it ended for you, and you're in a desert. You're just wandering about, confused, lacking purpose. Drink. Go to the source. Start with God. I recognize that you are that source, and I need Hydration. I need to meditate on you. I need to pray. I need to spend some time focusing my heart and mind on you. That's why we do things like communion. And those of you that are, are the communion hosts, if you want to go ahead and get in place and grab that, that's one of the reasons why we do communion. Because in this moment, that is an opportunity for you and I to pause, recognize the desert that we're in, And come back to God and say, God, once again, I am partaking. I'm drinking. I'm focusing on you. I'm dehydrated. I need you to hydrate me once again. So for the next few moments before you take communion, spend a few minutes doing some business with God. Refocus your mind and heart and recognize the places that you're dehydrated and allow God to work on that. Put your, com- your God complex pride, whatever it is, to the side and say, God, I need you. I need you to handle this. I'm putting this burden down, recognizing that you can carry that for me and that you will. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for days like today that we can celebrate you, that we can gather together in a room of other human beings that are struggling just like we are and 
really just kind of lay down the facade and stop pretending that we have got it under control, that we've got it all together, and collectively, all of us recognizing that we're broken, dehydrated, we're lost in the desert, and without you, without the one that is the source of all life, we'll never make it. God, thank you for your uh, patience with us. Thank you for letting us be a part of your purpose and mission and grand story of the universe. Thank you for loving us for who we are unconditionally. As we take communion in these next few moments, God, help us all to refocus, recalibrate our mind, and begin hydrating our lives again. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a few moments.